mean, this is this was Neil Young's idea that I loved the most, uh, um, which is just that you get to commune with the artist. You know, um, you, it becomes a full experience where I mean, that's 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 what that's the romance that he's championing more than actual sound quality or bits or a sampling rate or those sorts of things. It's the idea that you are kind of um, enveloped by the art of the, you know, you're just, you completely have this total intimate um, experience uh, with the, with the source material with the artist. Um, and that's what I like about um, high res sound is that sensation of, of, of being of no distance of total intimacy um, but I, I, re- I really, I've, I always feel uncomfortable talking about this because I know it's like the, the, the most boring topic for most people. Yeah. You're literally a music producer. So, you know, I think there's, there's a certain level of expectation there. But, and what, and what I would say, I actually write about technology. Um, I work for TechCrunch. That's my main job. And that's, right. so like, I'm, you know, that's why I'm super familiar with all, all the different players. And I don't think that it's so much that people don't care about sound quality. I just think it's that at this point, people are willing to prioritize convenience over anything else. Yeah, but that's the that's the oldest story in the book. That's that's like an ancient. That's the thing. Yes, c- convenience. I get it. You know, um, but for someone like me who like lives, you know, kind of lives within. I mean, I live inside of. I mean, I'm trying to say this in a way that's not, that won't be too pretentious, but I, I, I live inside of songs. Like I, 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 I don't want to sound either creepy or pretentious, but like, it's almost like a religion for me, you know? Um, uh, and, and I really care about it a lot. I care about everything that I do as an artist and I care about, um, I care about sound as a listener um, and I'm very, very passionate about it. And it's painful to me to have people just say, well, yeah, but this is more, you know, convenience always wins out. Um, and I think, I think that was what Neil Young was trying to do. I think his messaging was a little off putting and kind of um, fanatical. Um, and he didn't have enough of a sense of, uh, I think a sense of, um, humility about coming off like a dork, like I'm coming off right now, you know? Um, uh, uh, I think that was what went wrong is that he, he sounded sort of fanatical in a way that people couldn't really relate to. Um, uh, but it is dismaying that, you know, the things that I care about are always prioritized under convenience, you know? I mean, it's the nature of, and, you know, also I'm not paid for streaming, you know? Um, like it's like it's kind of this the 21st century is an amazing kind of it's been a 25 year ins- insult to to my entire existence <laughs> in a funny kind of way that's sort of like the the beauty of Neil Young though is that like he's he's past the point of caring i think what anybody thinks about him at this point i think that's true i think that that's what went wrong though with pono i love the guy but i think it's clearly failed on his personality that's my opinion my take on it was, you know, one, obviously, the price of buying a, a, um, a standalone player versus everybody just kind of listens to everything on their uh, on their smartphone now. And also, the idea of 
subscribing to a new or different service expressly for lossless audio, I think is just a, a step too far for most people. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. I mean, I, I, I fully understand why it has not worked so far. Um, uh, yeah, I totally get it. Potentially good news. Potentially good news. I mean, uh, you know, Spotify is probably not going lossless anytime soon, but Apple has been taking some steps in that direction. That and is they, true. And they, true. they do pay you slightly more fractions of a cent per stream. <laughs> they, they do. That is true. That is true. I mean, it is my, do you know, have you had John Vanderslice on your show? Oh yeah. Many times. Uh, yeah. I mean, his attitude towards it is really great. Um, uh, towards this whole topic is really great. John is kind of John is a genius, I think, and also a little. He's insane. also one of the mellowest dudes alive. Yes, he is m- super mellow, but he's also like he's got that sort of like the kind of genius which is a little touch of madness. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, for those people who don't, I mean, you know, beyond the music making, he he is also the owner and proprietor of Tiny Telephone, which at least at a certain point was the only pure analog recording studio on the West Coast. Yeah, I mean, John John and I share a lot of values, and I love him a lot, and I care about him a lot. And he's a, I would say he's an influence on me, at least in terms of um, value system. And his attitude about streaming was like, it's literally futile. It is, it is completely futile to think, like, it's never going to be a way that you're going to be remunerated in any kind of way that uh, is significant at all. Um, it's why I tell people... I don't get paid for streaming. And and then people want to get very specific about, wait, you don't get paid or you get paid very little. And I'm tr- I'm trying to m- imagine in any in your job, in your job for TechCrunch, if you had a paycheck that was down to, like where, where it's like you get paid multiple fractions of a penny that almost accumulate to a penny. You would say, you would call that I'm not paid, right? You feel like it's a moot point. Yeah, it's a moot point. So I feel like it's it's actually better and more simpler and more communicative when I'm talking to people who are not musicians to say simply that Spotify does not pay. It's 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 almost exactly true. Um and John's attitude, he was really at peace with it. He said his thing is I put value into the analog works, into the vinyl things that he sells, into the physical things, and those things are worth money, and he puts great care into them. You know, if you buy a John Vanderslice um, LP, it, he has put a lot of attention into every part of that process and a lot of care. In terms of what, in terms of streaming, he doesn't give a fuck. He's sort of like, oh, it's fine, it's fine, and he's not even he's not bitter about it. You know, um, he's really just accepted it. It's, you know, uh, I want to get to that kind of level of sort of spiritual magnanimity, but um, I'm not quite there. John is obviously a singular and and fairly idiosyncratic figure in a lot of ways. And, you know, one of them right now is that he is, he's back on his living room tour thing right now. And I'm, that is, that's fascinating for me. I mean, you know, the, the, the first time I saw him was... I can't remember which venue, some big venue in San Francisco. He was opening up for Beulah, if you remember Beulah. And, you know, it was like a, it was a production, right? It was a, it was when the life and death of an American four tracker came out. It was like still like full bands, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to be real rock and roll bands. And I, 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 obviously I really appreciate the, the, the living room show idea. And, you know, I, 
I, you know, I, I lived at a, a house at a show house in college, you know, like I, I understand like how important that culture is, but I just can't wrap my brain around the economics of doing it, especially at this point in his career. I mean, I think that in a way, John's kind of surrendered in a certain kind of way. I mean, I feel like there's a little bit, the way that he's always talked about streaming has always had this kind of like, kind of just coming to terms with the just pure despair of it. And still loving what he's doing. I don't know if you've been following his most recent music, but it's becoming more increasingly um, antagonistic and bizarre. Yeah, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and he's also taken like some interesting. <laughs> he, he makes some interesting meme choices over on Facebook as well. Yeah, he's really like the, there's. It's kind of the part of him that's kind of punk in a way. You know, it's he's sort of like fuck off. I don't. You know, there's a, almost a kind of nihilism to it. As friendly and as charming and as warm and as sweet as he is, there's a kind of dark, uh, nihilistic punk um, kind of uh, fuck off kind of attitude that underlies a lot of the stuff. And I don't think that in this case, in this instance, those things are at all mutually exclusive because, you know, I, 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 I read, I, I follow the way he interacts with the world. And, you know, I think it's something that given our druthers, we would all kind of like to do so we can appreciate that about him. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I hope it's clear. I have nothing but admiration. Oh for the yeah, guy. no, of course. And uh, and he's a truly an inspiring free spirit, and a very very smart um, uh, smart guy. And I really love the way his music is. I mean, the, my favorite record uh, is the Cedars, um, which came out a few years ago. It's a really really out there record, but it's still very musical and very pleasant and sort of seductive. Um, the new music uh, that he's been doing for the last couple of years has been, I think, deliberately grating in a kind of a cool way, in a kind of a neon sort of um, sort of druggy sort of, um, uh, uh, I don't know how to describe it, um, uh, provocative, um, sort of challenging, difficult sort of way. And I, I respect that, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm from the DC punk scene. I, I understand uh, I understand confrontational art. And I, I respect, I value it. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I don't know how the economics work for John. I think he sort of accepted that this is the way the world's going. And I just want to, I just want to, you know, go and breathe the air and play songs and just, you know, try to make it, put it together. Certainly we'll talk about some of your troubles with touring and, you know, especially going forward. But I, like, I think we can all appreciate what something like a house show affords you as an artist like that that that's a true connection with fans that you don't get on a larger oh, scale it's the best it's the best it's a really really i mean again there's that word intimacy it's like the thing that i love if you go see mark eitzel in a in a in a in a living room show you're gonna have a life-changing experience i mean it's 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 re and it's like concentrated and intense in a way that uh, I mean I I the last big show that I saw was Massive Attack and I saw Massive Attack here at uh, at a big place called the Anthem which is owned by Seth Hurwitz who owns the Nine Thirty Club it's like the bigger version of the Nine Thirty Club um, and it was a really big show with a really big sort of cinematic scope and it wouldn't have what they were doing. I mean, not. I mean, it would be sort of absurd for Massive Attack to play a house, 
but what they're doing wouldn't have worked in a, in a, in a smaller venue. Like they, they made an art of the, of their circumstance of being in a larger venue. And I respect that too. But I think there's a kind of a, there's a thing that John and people like John and Mark Eitzel, the people that I have seen at house shows make use of, which is very potent and very, um, really strong. I mean, you know, really valuable. There's an additional value to it that I hadn't considered before. I'm a fairly introverted person in a lot of ways. Like, I can do this. It's fine. Um, you know, I can, like, stand on a stage. And, and you know, I, inter- I interviewed uh, Draymond Green last year in front of, like, a thousand people. Totally fine. But if I go to a party and I don't know anybody, I'm the guy in the corner not talking to anybody and doing the, you know, the the quiet exit. What a What a house show does, and this was one of the things I really loved about it, you know, in college when I was, like, I was in that world because I had to be because I lived in that house is it's suddenly here's a group of people. We're all here for the same reason and we all have a shared interest. And there's a way to connect with people that is obviously really lost, like certainly, certainly during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's absolutely valuable and more people should go to them. I think it's, I think it's a, um, I mean, if you, if you learn of one, happening i mean this is me talking to the listener if you learn of one happening in your town or you know go like go it's really exciting and worthwhile not at all important if you've ever heard of the band before in fact probably better if you haven't i mean i I, yeah i i I think uh i have not experienced a band that i don't know in a a living room show but uh, certainly if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna commune with artists who are as strong and as singular as uh you know as john vanderslice House show is a real treat, and it's something you're going to remember pretty much for the rest of your life. I think I'm going to age myself here, but I, you know, I discovered Frog Eyes because they played at my house. I discovered Devendra Banhart because you know he played at a house, and it's really there's some there's something incredibly beautiful about that, and there's a connection that you don't necessarily have when that person is an opening band in a larger venue because you know. Energy's not always there. They know people, have, you know, people are showing up late. They know people are showing up there for a different reason. But if you're at a house show and there's ten people there, that's not a problem. That's actually kind of the point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, yeah, and I, and I, you know, I come from uh, again the DC punk uh, kind of social milieu, and um, and so I don't val- I don't think of smaller. Uh, more intimate things is lesser than big time uh, commercial things. I don't, I don't have, I don't assign those values. So it's not like a, I don't even feel the need to apologize for the idea that I'm encouraging someone to do, you know, to play or to go to attend a house show. I think they're great. Yeah. That's my take on it. We're going to cycle back around to the, um, economic things and i appreciate that you're that you're very transparent about it like not everybody likes to talk about it and i like and i can appreciate that right it's well, it's I'll not you know, it's, it. there's no yeah, question it's a, it's a painful <laughs> issue but but i you know i bring it up again in the context of what does touring look like for you going forward or have you figured that out okay so my um uh, i you know for people that are who are listening to this that don't know who I am or don't know my history. Um, I, about 
10 years ago. Um, yeah, about 10 years ago. Uh, no, more than 10 years ago. God. Um, uh, I, a virus, um, I got a virus, uh, that went into my heart. Um, nobody knows where the virus came from. Uh, I'll, I will, I will never know. In fact, doctors specifically discouraged me from wondering about it. They said, you know, there's really no point because it doesn't matter where it came from. All you know, it's is really you know, easy to spiral to. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, and so I try not to think about it, but I, I got this very bizarre and, uh, unusual, um, sort of anomalous virus, uh, that went into my heart. It's, this is a very rare occurrence. This is a, something that almost never happens and probably you don't know anybody else who it's happened to. It's pretty rare. Um, getting an infection in your heart is, uh, very unusual. Like people get infections in their lungs. They get infections, uh, in their kidneys and their, you know, um, multi different organs of the body, um, uh, that are usually, um, uh, subject to, uh, to attack by virus or bacteria. Um, but the heart is rarely reached by an infection. Um, and actually the body is designed, has no design really to respond to it because it's so rare. It almost never, by the nature of the way your blood works and the way your blood is filtered and the heart almost never gets an infection. So when it does, it's usually very, very swiftly fatal. Um, and, uh, very few people survive it. Um, usually what happens is you die in about 48, 72 hours, um, uh, I, what happened to me, um, uh, was, uh, I basically, my symptoms were initially, I had a, like, were very flu-like, um, were very, uh, like, I, it was like a really severe cold, um, that came on out of nowhere, um, and, uh, was really extreme and really, um, like the worst flu you, you've ever had, like multiply it by three or whatever, you know, it's like, it was, it was, uh, very, and I was lying on the couch and I just thought, Oh man, I'm really like, I'm really, I really have some kind of terrible bug or whatever. I didn't know what was happening to me. Um, I now know that I was, that I had an infection in the core of my being basically. Um, and so my body was freaking out, uh, and you know, I was blowing my nose and my eyes were watering and it was, it was a nightmare. Um, anyway, uh, cut to, I went to a doctor, um, and my doctor said, uh, oh, oh, and what happened actually was this, this, this flu I'm putting in quotes cleared up very quickly, like out of the, out of the blue, it went away. Um, and, uh, and like I was all better, like the next day, it was very weird. Um, and I went to the doctor. Did you have insurance at the time? I did. Yes. I, I, thankfully, I mean, I would definitely be dead, hundred percent be dead if I did not have insurance. Um, the way this country is structured, people like me are just, would, would just be totally forgotten. I mean, there's no way, there's no way. I, so thankfully I was insured. Um, uh, for most of us, you're not insured. You, you just don't go to a doctor, right? Especially in the case where, and this is what I'm wondering in the case where, you're fine the next day. What, what compelled you to go see a doctor? 
It was very bizarre. I mean, that, it was just like there was no question to me that I had just gone through something very weird. I mean, it was so extreme. And then it was like, oh, birds are tweeting and everything is fine. So it was a really quick recovery was actually part of what made it so strange. Yeah, it was it was a spooky recovery. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like, why am I fe- I I felt like shit yesterday. Why do I feel better now? This is very weird. I don't know what the hell just happened. Um I went to the doctor uh and my doctor who who I still actually thank this person saved my life. This woman saved my life. She was putting a stethoscope up to my chest and she said you have a heart murmur and you've never had a heart murmur before. And you just had this really bad sort of flu thing. She's like, it's what I'm worried about is very rare and very unlikely, but I think you should go to the hospital right now. (laughs) And I was like, uh, she's like, like right now, like leave and drive right to the hospital. Cause I think this is an emergency. Uh, and she was right. She was 100% right. Um, uh, and I ended up having a, a very intense uh, surgery, um, uh, open heart surgery, out of the blue from this weird virus that went into my heart. You know, I, I have, I have, I have, I've had major heart problems, but it's not like I eat a lot of pizza or like I, you know, like the things that people associate with heart troubles, like heart disease. I, it's that's not the case for me. Uh, so I, I got this surgery, open heart surgery, and it saved my life. And, uh, and I, uh, later had to have another open heart surgery, which installed uh, a device that was essentially replaced my heart with a machine. So I had a, essentially an artificial heart and beauty pill actually played a few shows, um, uh, with me having this artificial heart. And when I would step out on stage, I would tell people, I would try to make people feel less, um, uncomfortable. Um, I would make a joke that I was like, uh, um, a cyborg or like I was like a half man, half machine kind of thing. But yeah, I had an artificial heart for a long time. Uh, and last year, this is, I'm zooming through all this life detail, you know, reading up on it, a really interesting facet was that there was an issue with putting your guitar next to it, right? Or it, it did it amplify sound or no, it was, well, it was really hard to carry a guitar. Uh, like heart, heart surgery in order to do heart surgery. This is, I'm sorry for anybody that's listening to this. This unfortunately is gruesome. They crack your rib cage open, uh, like you're a crab. That's the best. That's the best way I, I've found to d- describe it in a way that people can can visualize it. It's very visceral. It's really nasty, and it's like it, it feels like you've been hit by a, a truck, um, uh, almost almost literally. Um, uh, and your your um, your chest, uh, you know, your pectoral muscles are challenged by this, and everything is everything that you used to do becomes very difficult to do. Um, uh, and, and for me, you know, I was a guitarist. I am a guitarist. The guitar became very challenging. So I actually got more into electronic music cause that was more physically accessible, um, to me. Uh, and, uh, and that's actually something that affected the way beauty pill sounds, um, in, in a way that I'm really happy with, uh, to be honest with you. Um, 
Uh, I would not wish, I would not go back and wish myself to have, you know, <laughs> a virus go into my heart, but I'm happy. I'm happy with Beauty Pills music and I'm happy with the things that we've been exploring artistically uh, as a result. You wouldn't, you couldn't have seen yourself necessarily going in that direction without this horrible thing. I mean, I've always been interested in sound. You know, I'm a very big Beatles fan. I'm very interested in, I've always been excited about sound and stereo and, um, and texture. Um, I love later period Beatles stuff for these reasons. I love hip hop for these reasons. Um, uh, I love, you know, I love, uh, I'm a huge, uh, uh, devoted fan of De La Soul. Um, and, uh, you know, so I probably, I don't know that I, it's, I mean, entirely, these are things that I had a little bit of in- interest in, but it became, they became things that became, uh, the electronic stuff became necessary to really communicate songs and feelings, um, which is, you know, which is what I do. So I don't, it, it's not, um, you know, there's, there's sampling, um, there's electronic treatments and earlier beauty pill stuff. It just becomes more at the core of what we do later on. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm proud of the work. So it's a, you know, my journey is a, is a tricky one, I guess. Um, but anyway, so last year, um, uh, last year I, ha- you know, I have this artificial heart, uh, and suddenly it begins to fail. I was actually, I, uh, I was on the way to my studio walk in, I have a home studio and I was walking to my home studio and I collapsed and I, f- and I passed out out of nowhere. Um, and I didn't know what was happening. Uh, and I woke up and my dog, <laughs> my poor dog was very confused. And I woke up with my dog, my dog's face, right. Looking at me very concerned. Um, you have to be extra vigilant, obviously when you've got that situation. Yes, it's true. That's true. That's true. You, you, that's exactly true. And I actually, t- I have a group text. I am on a group. I'm not going to name drop, but I'm on a group text with some, with some, um, amazing musicians, um, and who I like a lot. Um, and I, we, we kind of text every day. It's like a, you know, one of those sort of channels, I guess. And I texted those guys and I said, Hey, um, funny thing. I just passed out, uh, on the way walking into the studio. Um, uh, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what I, you know, I didn't know. I was like, huh, weird thing happened. And there was like silence in this text channel. And these are very chatty people. And there was like, nobody responded. And I was like, well, you know, anyway, have a good day. You know, I'm sure my mechanical heart is perfectly fine. I was, I was told, I mean, that really was my stance really was like as insane as it sounds now. I was really like, Oh, I just passed out for no reason. I don't know why that was anyway. Talk to you later. Um, and, uh, they were, um, uh, one of them, two of them actually were very insistent. Chad, you need to get to the hospital right now. Like, don't, you know, you don't delay. Don't let's not fuck around. Um, this is passing out for no reason is not okay. You know? And, and I was like, no, I'm fine. I'll be fine. And then, uh, uh, my friend Ryan, actually, who I will name, uh, my friend Ryan, um, uh, said, you're on the couch. Can you move? <laughs> and I said, 
And I actually tried to get up off the couch and I realized I could not get up off the couch. I was not able to move. I hadn't noticed it until this moment. And I said, huh, no, uh, I'm just going to sit here and drink some water. I'm sure I'll be fine. And Ryan was like, uh, no, Chad, I'm not accepting that answer. And you're going to, you're going to the hospital. And, uh, my other friend, um, insisted that he was going to drive over and take me to the hospital. I ended up getting a heart transplant. So I now have, uh, a, uh, someone else's heart. Um, and I, I don't know anything about this person, except I do know that it's a woman. Uh, and I'm very, very grateful to be alive and I'm grateful to her. Uh, and I'm kind of astounded to even exist, you know, to be honest with you. And I'm planning, uh, like right now I'm planning an, uh, just actually right before I started talking to you, I'm planning a new album this coming summer that I can't believe I'm even alive for. And we're going to collaborate with Arto Lindsay as a producer, someone I've, I've admired very intensely for a long time. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very, I feel very grateful to be, even be alive. Um, uh, but in terms of playing live, here's my situation. I'm very impressed, by the way, that you have that thread still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yes. Uh, uh, but I do want to answer the question because it's a, it, is a, it is an actually important and good question. My situation is, excuse me, my situation is um, I am immunocompromised. Um, because I have this other person's heart. Um, I, they don't want me to have what's called organ rejection, um, which is very dangerous and very, which is a very gruesome way to die. And I don't want to die that way. Um, uh, and if I can avoid it, um, and I am taking, um, very complex and a lot of medications in order to stay alive, uh, and keep this heart, uh, healthy. And so in the age of COVID and monkeypox and whatever the fuck, it's, it's really challenging for me to play live going forward. Beauty Pill has moved into a different zone artistically, I would say. Um, we have a, um, we have now have a horn quartet. We've added a horn quartet that there's a, there's a quintet band. There's a band that's a quintet, um, rock quintet. And we've added four people who play horns, who play um, saxophone and bassoon and, um, and, uh, and trumpet. Um, and our arrangements are getting more. Um, this is funny to me because do you remember that, um, that onion article from a long time ago? That was like, it was like ska band outnumbers audience. Like, (laughs) it's one of these things where you're you're sort of in this position where obviously, like, you know, you have to start thinking of, like, as they call it in business, like the unit economics of of something. You have to think about, you know, because, like, you don't have that streaming revenue, as we very much talked about at the beginning of the conversation. And, you know, on the way to that, you're like, let's add some horn players. Like, let's get, like, more people. I mean, you know, it's just, it's a fucked up thing. Like, I'm an artist, man. I, I, I don't have... I mean, sort of like what I was saying about John earlier, like you kind of are compelled, you know, I started hearing these things in my head, horns and horn textures in my head, not that different, not that far off from, um, maybe Mingus or, uh, or, or, or Philip Glass, like not, not horns in the, in a, in a kind of a old fashioned Otis Redding sort of way, but, um, or a ska sort of way, as you would say. 
but uh you know i started hearing these sounds in my head and 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 it's very clear that uh i mean i there's ways to get at these things electronically cheaper but the sound of real people playing instruments that they've devoted their lives to is just so moving and i mean it's just uh, it's not something i want to replace so or i want to um or i want to put to the side i'm a little bit obsessive about what what i'm doing um so you're right about the economics making no damn sense whatsoever um but uh i don't know what to say it's like it's the vision and i have no choice but to answer it when you say when you say you know not wanting to replace it are are you talking about the studio or are you just talking about everything well uh i mean we're going into a record i mean i actually had a really good conversation with my bandmate devin ocampo who is the drummer in the band but is actually probably most famous as a guitarist um he's one of those people who can play any instrument he's just one of those like just insanely gifted it's annoyingly gifted uh people who um i mean if you handed devin uh you know a clarinet that he'd never played before probably within an hour or two he'd sound pretty good at it you know he's just one of those people um he's a really key kind of cinematographer i would say in 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 beauty pill he's a very important to the mechanics and to the to the arrangements and to the the way everything gets resolved, I guess, where this, the way the songs resolve. Um, uh, and we were talking about, you know, how challenging it is going to be for beauty pill to play live going forward because of me. I mean, it's that simple because of me. There's not much of a band without you though. Oh yeah. I mean, actually we, you know, the funny thing is we actually did a tour. Beauty pill did a tour without me when I was in the hospital once. That uh, we we they did a tour opening for Art of Lindsay actually, um, and uh, they played. Uh, I was very jealous. They played um, all sorts of uh, really beautiful art houses. Um, the, uh, the Chicago Institute of Art, you know, like we played in all these really beautiful halls. I say we, but I was not there. I I experienced it vicariously. Were you planning on going and then the yes, hospital thing we had happened? Been okay. plan- we had been planning on going. Um, and unfortunately, I was I had an, a medical emergency and the band decided to go forth without me. Um, Gene Cook, who sings uh, half of the songs, um, uh, sang all of the songs. The nature of Beauty Pill is that we've always wanted the songs to be able to um, leap from throat to throat. That's an actual like concept um the idea is that the songs are sort of androgynous or i was going to say bisexual that's not the right word the the songs have no gender assigned necessarily um and that i can sing a song that that gene sings on the record i can sing it live she can you know it can go back and forth why is that an important quality i just think it's fucking dope i mean i i don't i don't i I don't I don't know why other two sing. I mean, there is no version of the Beatles yesterday that is sung by John Lennon. It's always sung by Paul. Why couldn't it have been sung by John? That could have been cool. I mean, wouldn't you be curious to hear what... I, I would hazard to guess that was an ego thing more than anything. I mean, other than well, okay, like... okay, fair enough. Other than giving Ringo the occasional song, they, they sang their own songs. 
Yeah, maybe they were territorial. Maybe that's the way. I mean, I'm not territorial in that way. Um, uh, I, you know, there are plenty of two singer, you know, Tribe Called Quest was a two singer band. Uh, I don't know why people, and Fugazi, you know, I don't know why people can't, you know, why those things can't become fluid. It's just an exciting idea to me. Um, I wanted, I mean, it's something that Beauty Pill has never really mastered, but it's a concept that we've always operated on. You find the best tool for the job, right? So it's nice having the option of doing that. And if somebody is more suited for whatever reason, or the song just sounds better in a different register, then you go with that. Yes. Uh, I will say this, this is going to sound nakedly promotional because it sort of is. Uh, we are about to re- reissue uh, uh, Beauty Pill Describes Things As They Are, which is our 2015 record. Um, it's, I think, I'm going to say, inarguably, the strongest Beauty Pill album. I think it's the it's the record that we... I mean, it's the record that we're hoping to top this summer. You know, it's it's the it's the motherfucker. That's where the bar is for you. Yes, uh, and we're reissuing it um, because I we, we got the rights back, and that's a whole other story, which I won't go in it, get into. We have the rights back um, <clears throat> to that record, and we're reissuing it for Record Store Day um, next Friday, as of the time of this recording, uh, April twenty second. At the end of that record, uh, there's a song called And the Word, um, which is in the, the last song on the record is called And, and the Word. It's a cover of a lungfish song, uh, a kind of uh, oblique um, sort of hallucinatory uh, um, kind of um, apocalyptic lungfish song. The, the words the the song ends with um the line repeated the world vanished in a gentle breeze just that that's the last lyric is just repeated over and over again the world vanished in a gentle breeze the world vanished in a gentle breeze the world vanished in a gentle breeze the world Anyway, there's there's a version of that song. We did two versions of that song uh, that I sing that's largely electronic and kind of uh, based on sort of hip-hop mechanics. The world vanished in a gentle breeze. In, in its own way, sort of way. And there's a version uh, that Gene Cook sang which is entirely organic, entirely the band playing in um, live instruments uh, in uh, actually in a basement at the time. It's very beautiful. It's very pretty. Um, it's sort of folky and um, uh, kind of dreamy and uh, pleasant to listen to. version that i sing is not i would say is not pleasant it's um it's uh i mean i don't think it's i don't think it's actively unpleasant but it's it's um you know it's it's uh it's aggressive i guess um gene's version is uh m- more uh, softer and sweeter and easier to listen to and 
it's pretty it's a prettier version yes um at the last minute as we're putting the record together our plan had been to include both versions but we decided i think we decided that we that that was too much for the record at the time and so we decided to do this strategy uh, of a mysterious edit um uh and so and on the version of the record that was released in 2015, you hear my version, and then it f- crossfades, sort of mysteriously crossfades into Jean's version for only about 30 seconds, and you hear her version for really just a just a few moments, and then it fades out. Um, and uh, that was the version that we released in 2015. People, Beauty Pill fans, have always been curious about what the fuck that was all about. Um, and uh, so on the reissue, you get to hear Gene's full version, which I which I actually prefer to the version that I sing. I don't think I have a, I don't think I have a, I really don't think I do. Maybe I do. I don't think I have an ego about singing. I don't think I have a, I don't have a desire to, um, I don't have a, a an attention kind of, um, I, I'm a tall guy. I'm six foot four. And I think a lot of the great rock stars, like Prince, a lot of the people who were, who were um, really, really good, really, really good at um, holding audiences' attention, and that's a whole art. I, I'm not in any way disparaging that art. It's um, you know Miles Davis. I looked it up earlier today. Was five seven. Um, uh, you know. Uh, a lot of the great performers, a lot of the people who were magnetic and charismatic, Iggy Pop, I don't know how tall Iggy Pop is. I think he's not a tall guy. Um, I think of the, a lot of the great performers are often uh, people who grew up uh, kind of making an art of getting attention, I think. I think, uh, I think, I don't know, this is my speculation about myself. I don't, I don't, ha- I don't have a strong desire to be the center of attention. I, I have more of a I have more of a Wizard of Oz kind of wizard behind the curtain kind of fantasy. That's funny because I, you know, I'm 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 now trying to think of like tall rock stars. I had, you know, years ago when I used to do all these in person, I had Bruce Hornsby on the show. Bruce Hornsby's very tall. In fact, he has um, a nephew. Maybe I, I may be confusing him with the um, with the with Mike Love, <laughs> Kevin Love, but. Um, he had a, he, one of his relatives, maybe his son, one of his relatives plays basketball. He's very tall. And that's interesting because like, he's a guy that he's a guy that sits behind the piano. So you don't know that he's tall. And I wonder if that plays into, I it. mean, there are tall rock stars. There are like sting is tall. Um, I think Mick Jagger is tall. I think, I mean, there are tall, um, you know, it's not, it's not unheard of. I just think I, I I'm only speculating about my own. I don't really have, I just don't have a, um, I don't really, my ego is not attached to being the, I mean, now in my, in the band now, um, Aaron Nelson is the co-singer, uh, in the band. Um, and I'm really happy for people to pay attention to her. And I don't have a, I'm actually would be, I mean, I would, I think I would be totally fine. Not even not singing at all. Um, but, and yet your version of the song is the version that made it onto the record. Yes, it was a, it was a vote, actually. It was a band vote. I mean, everybody decided it was the strongest move. Um, it's a strike. My version is striking. It's, you know, um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I mean, it's a, it's a cool record, you know. Um, I, I don't regret the choice that we made. Um, but I think, uh, 
it's cool to get give people an insight into the kind of path not taken on this reissue. I wonder because I, one, I I think that's a a genius idea and it works really well because it's 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 a glimpse at something you know that you know maybe you don't even know that there's there there's an entire other version when you're listening to it but i wonder if the power is in the mystery and if the power is in knowing that you might not ever hear it uh, yeah you 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 i mean you're thinking like an artist that's exactly thus that's exactly the fucking question you got it right there that's 100% the question we thought we talked about that like is it kind of cooler that it was that it's a thing that was sort of obscured from view like there was a there is a kind of a mysterious chemistry to the way the album worked i mean i would say as i said like i i consider beauty pill describes things as they are to be the to be the the high water mark for our band um uh and uh yeah so like yeah that's a valid question i don't know i think there's something cool about um revealing it you know eight years later i mean i i i think i i I, you know but yeah but that your your question is totally valid um uh you know it's a really good question artistically um the other shape that we i had been actually i had voted for the other shape which was that you hear three quarters of gene's version and then for 30 seconds you hear me ranting and you know she's singing in this sort of um uh you know kind of uh um, lullaby-ish sort of way, uh, and um, and you know that you at the last thirty seconds you hear the Chad version, which is sort of deranged. Um, That's interesting because I wonder, I wonder if that wor- would work because I'm thinking of like I'm thinking of a lot of hip hop songs, right? Which like a, a lot of you know the verses will be very intense, and then the the hook or the chorus is just really mellow mellow music, and and that works really well. And I'm I, I'm is there a version that kind of flips that on its head? Huh. That's a good question. That is a good question. Because, you know, obviously you tend to think of choruses as being, you know, the kind of the melodic part or the, the, you know, the musical part. I'm thinking of, um, again, I'm like a tribe called quest fanatic. Uh, uh, there's the tribe called quest song. Well, to be fair, tribe called quests rapping was very melodic and musical in a way that a lot of others weren't. (laughs) Yes. These are all astute observations. They're very impressive. Um, yes. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. It's. A, it's. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I. I. I thought it was cool. I got outvoted. Um, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, I have a. I have a strong vote in Beauty Pill, because I write the music. Um, yeah. I mean, but I don't. It's not a. Dict- it's not a. Um, it's not a sort of like what Chad says goes. And it was actually but they probably understand that you're so humble that you would vote against yourself, maybe not even on merit. I don't I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if I I, I identify as humble. <laughs> humble's maybe the wrong word, but but you know, magnanimous is maybe the the word I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, th- I mean, I I appreciate the idea. I mean, it would be something that's a like a good trait um to have. But I'm also I'm I'm also the guy that just said like you know we made a masterpiece. Listen, I'm speaking very specifically in terms of singing. Yes, yes, no. I think that they yes, and I think that they really wanted to make a really strong record, um, and that's all they really cared about. I think that's all we really we all really cared about, and that's a kind of a beautiful thing about the people I work with. Um, 
it's very oriented. I mean, it's interesting because one of the things that went wrong in my life um, is that I didn't understand. I've talked about this in other interviews. Um, I didn't understand. I did not understand that the record is as good as it is. Like, I didn't understand at the time. I thought it was a good record. I, I mean, I was happy with it. I did not understand its value. Um, I didn't understand. I have more, I have more appreciation. I have more recognition of, of this, of the scale of it as a artistic thing. Now that I have some, you were too close to it. I was too close to it. And I thought it was just okay. I thought it was a good record, but I, you know, I didn't think it was like, I, I didn't. And my bandmates were like, Holy shit. This is like, you know, this is maybe one of the best albums anyone's ever made they were really euphoric about it um i mean i, I mean I don't, that, that's an exaggeration but th- they everybody was really like the 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 um the hyperbole was at a very high level they at least knew that it was the best album that you had ever made yes they did they didn't know that and and they cautioned about um uh wh- what to do with it because of that and i i just thought they were i thought they were i don't know i thought they were high <laughs> I thought they were, I don't know. I, 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 I thought I, I was like, guys, it's a good record, but you know, we're an obscure DC band. It's just, it, you know, it'll sell a couple thousand copies. It'll be all right. You know, I didn't have this, I didn't have this major, like, you know, we're going to be Radiohead kind of crazy, um, uh, uh, ambition. Um, uh, I think, I think I thought it was a good record and I wanted to make it available to the people that would find it. So we had we actually ended up licensing it to this guy. His name is Alan Formello, who we later learned was a total maniac. Um, and uh, and we ended up in uh, an unfortunate contractual relationship with him for many years. Um, that took us a long time to get out of. And uh, and that's actually one of the things, one of the reasons why this re- reissue is a celebratory thing for me is that I you know, I own the work now, like I have control over it and I can give it the kind of dignity that it, that it, that it deserves. We talked earlier on a very pragmatic level about the way in which, and I'm sorry, we're going to, you know, cause we're getting close to an hour, but I'm going to end, you know, maybe, maybe a little morbidly, but, but hopeful at the same time, um, that the pragmatic way in which your health impacted um, the direction of the band as far as like moving from guitar to synthesizer, but there's no way going through something like that is not going to have a profound work on your lyrics, on the kind of music that you want to create. Yes. I mean, I take it very, 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 very seriously and I don't apologize for that. And, uh, and it's really important, um, to me that all the sounds have purpose I don't know how long I'm going to be here and I, and I can't fuck around. Um, and I mean, I'm, this is, you know, this is a kind of a, a brief for the, for the, for the next beauty pill record, which we're planning to do this summer. Like everything we, you know, um, our music is packed with a lot of sounds and textures and people that like the band are pretty excited by that stuff. And they, and we're thought of as being a band that's quote, well produced unquote. I'm happy about that reputation to some extent, but I don't like the idea of it being production 
I think that everything that we do has a reason. I can defend almost any sound in any beauty pill song. I can explain why it's there and what what it, what role it's supposed to play. There's a there's an intentionality behind what we're doing that I think is anchored by mortality. Um, uh, actually, I never said that before. I've never said that before. I just even it's kind of heavy hitting me. What I will say, and I don't know if this will make you feel better, but but something that I've noticed is that a lot, like a lot of art, is a su- like surprising amount. I talk, I have a lot of uh, cartoonists on the show, people who make comics, and the process of making a comic is like like a a book, you know, four years at least, right? And and these are these are people, these are you know men and women who are in the prime of their life. You know, they're like in their forties, right? They're not old, but they still quantify. The remainder of their life by the amount of books that they have left. There's a base level of that that goes on, but yours is obviously heightened for unfortunate reasons. Yeah, yep. That's my that's my situation. I mean, I I I feel that um, probably beauty pill listeners probably sense this stuff too. I think that there's a I, I can tell by the way that people interact with us the letters that we get the i think i mean people don't want to there's things that people don't want to say you know um directly like so you're probably gonna die <laughs> um you know i'll probably gonna um, die dude yeah <laughs> but, no yeah. but you know what i mean like they, 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 they there's a i think there's a gravity i think there are people who find the, this music take it pretty seriously and 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 uh and center it in their lives. I think that that's a good thing. You have this thing, obviously, again, it's a case where, you know, you, given it the option, you wouldn't want it to go through this, but you have this thing. I was thinking about this recently. You know, you know the car- cartoonist Al Jaffe the, yes. from Mad Magazine? So yes. he, he died recently, right? Yes, it's very sad. As of the recording to this. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, but also, you know, he was 102, right? So like... Yes. That's about being lucid at 102 is the best any of us could possibly hope for. Yes. But I was thinking about that in the context of him having his 102nd birthday like a month before that happened and and people celebrating it. And and you know, we know that we all lead busy lives, we're all completely compartmentalized, and there's this horrible thing that happens where in a lot of cases, I mean, in all cases we take artists for granted we take you know music for granted and then that person dies and then you know we celebrate them and they're not there to appreciate that and one like i don't want to say positive no because it's a horrible thing but like one thing that this has perhaps afforded you and your fans is like that they have this connection and that they have this appreciation that they might you know in an intensity they might not otherwise have I think that's the. I think that's a terrific way of, of viewing it, and and I, um, I do think that that is that's an underlying vibe under the communications that we have directly with people who are listeners. I don't like. I don't like the word. I've never liked the word fan, um, because it's kind of based in the word fanatic. But I like. I think the word listener is a little bit more. I don't know something more dignified about it. I've always liked that word, um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think you think you're right. I think there's there's a richness to to the to the relationship, which is informed by the uh, affinity of it. You didn't use the word lucky. I think you used the word fortunate to describe 
you know, your doctor telling you to go to go to the, the hospital, for instance, you know, like the people who like who, who literally saved your life. I, I did read an interview where you use the word lucky. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, on on the micro level, lucky for sure, macro level, it's a very unlucky situation more broadly. Yeah. The but but I, but but I but I I I appreciate that outlook and and I asked this question to somebody who like I'm really bad at this. I went through a kind of a minor-ish health thing at you know the beginning of the pandemic like not doesn't nothing close to to what you've dealt with for years now, but I'm bad at not wallowing in things. I'm bad at not spiraling. I'm bad at not um you know, I I I get I get really depressed and and you know, it's a I do too, man. I do too. I do too. I, I don't. I don't like this idea that people, um, uh, you know, um, begin to see me as this sort of hero figure who's like, you know, who's like um, uh, unassailably cheerful. You're not paralyzed by the fear or no, and, and, is, and that's probably something, I don't know. Is that something that you have to develop over time? I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel galvanized. I feel, I feel really appreciative. Um, I feel really appreciative of, of, I mean, I'm working on music that I'm really, really fucking excited about right now. And, and as I said, the horn, everything about the, this, what I'm planning for this summer is really exciting to me. And, um, and I, I, I don't know. I feel, I do, I do feel lucky. I feel like, um, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm, as much as it can be a torturous to have, like to, to kind of have to obey visions, it's cool to have visions, <laughs> you know? Um, like I, and not everybody does, you know, I think it's, I think it's, I feel, I feel really, I feel, I do feel lucky. I mean, the word lucky is used. There's a song, um, which is called near miss, near miss stories. Um, uh, and the, and it's, uh, towards the end of, uh, beautiful describes things as they are. And I actually, it ends with me just saying, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky. Um, and at some point, it, at some point, uh, the lyric transmutes to you're so lucky. So I start, I start speaking directly to the listener in a way that might be a little bit corny, but I really do want to, I do want to have this idea of like communicating an idea to the listener, like, please come away from this song with something, you know, recognize, recognize how fortunate you are to even breathe the air. I mean, it's springtime. I don't, you know, who knows, who knows how long the earth is going to last, you know, like go out and breathe the air, you know? I mean, uh, I don't, you know, it seems like a really valid, if I, if I, if a valid message, you know, as you had said earlier, you know, you do, you come from this DC punk scene. And as far as like adherence to punk ethos, probably maybe nobody better in the world than Ian McKay. Right. I mean, he like, he lives, he lives it. He, he walks the walk. I'm not saying this about him, but I do think more broadly that one of these sort of un- unfortunate side effects of really wanting to be punk is not embrace. You know, you said you said corny, but not, but but almost this fear of embracing something genuine for fear that you'll you'll look corny. And I honestly, maybe this is just me getting older. I don't know, but like I honestly really appreciate 
people who can be completely earnest, even if it does mean potentially looking a bit cheesy. You know, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think that uh, that earnestness is anything that anybody really ascribes to beauty pill. But there are those moments where, you know, we we break the fourth wall <laughs> and do something, you know, which is sort of, yes, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it runs the risk of being corny. I mean, turning to the listener and looking directly in the camera and saying, talking to you, you know, that could be, that could really, I mean, it's like a Bono sort of, um, you know what I mean? Like. I mean, not well. I don't know that. I don't mean to diss Bono, but well, and it was corny. I mean, you know, yeah, God he, bless him. He, but Bono's he, a corny guy. He, he's he, but that's part of his art. Is he's not, he's not afraid of of going there, and it's part of what actually I think will make that music last for a very long time. Is because that it is touching, and that he's a ham, but he's he can really be he can really communicate something that people respond to all around the world, um, and maybe for a very long time. So I I'm you know. That being said, he's a cornball. <laughs> um, I don't want to be like that. Um, but I, but I mean, I don't have time. I don't have time to like play games. I, I'm, I'm, you know, beauty pill lyrics are packed with illusions. And, uh, you know, if you take, let's take an opposite sort of song, the song that opens the album, which is called Drapidomania. What is that song about? I ask anybody. Um, you know, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty abstract. Um, and, uh, and it's probably difficult for people to discern what is being said. I mean, I sometimes puzzle through what is being said with that song. Um, but I, I don't, I'm never interested in, 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 um, in being obscure on purpose ever, ever, ever. I am not interested in being, I mean, uh, chin scratch sort of, uh, I don't want people to, I don't want to be admired for being smart. I want to, I want to do shit that, that registers in your, I mean, I'm going to use the word soul. Um, you know, it, I, that's what I, I'm, I'm not interested in being clever. And there, I think there's plenty of clever shit in what we do, but it's never, that's never the point. I, I think a really important part of getting older, um, if you're smart is, examining some of the potentially arbitrary stances that you took earlier in life and the things, the things that you didn't do because you were afraid that they, they, they weren't punk enough. Obviously there's a lot of upside, you know, to punk and, and, and I, and I don't think that it by any stretch of imagination, it's a bad place to go through your life. But I also, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to like do a little therapy talk right now, but in, um, in cognitive behavior, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they have, uh, this concept of, of core beliefs, Mm-hmm. And a core belief is something that that you hold really true, but but perhaps have never really examined. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important part of getting older and maturing is wondering, figuring out why you do the things you do and whether or not you need to move on from them. Yep, I think that's very well said, and uh, I agree. And um, and I, um, I mean, I. I don't really believe, um, I'll tell you one area that I don't like one I've sort of decided something I noticed, uh, like about hip hop, hip hop historically, um, is founded on boasting. Braggadocious. Yes. I mean, there's, I mean, in a way Kanye's, uh, personality went to an absolutely insane, uh, megalomaniacal, 
like bizarre um, logical conclusion. Um, maybe, maybe, but I mean, it, it, I mean, I certainly think Kanye's what Kanye has become, what Kanye became, became very ugly. Um, yeah. And I and I don't admire that at all. Um, and fuck that guy, basically. You can't excuse away anti-Semitism. You know, that's yeah, just... it, it, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, then that's like just a piece of it, you know. Um, uh, yes, but uh, but I indie rock has always been, had this sort of um, diffidence, uh, this which is this opposite kind of um, humility. I mean, if you think about the way Kurt Cobain carried himself, um, uh, you know, um, uh, amongst many others, is it, it, valued humility um, and uh, or like or prized humility, I guess. Um, and I feel like that is reflective to some extent of privilege. Um, I think that there's a reason why people who come from nothing from the streets have to beat their chest and say, I'm the best. That's, there's a reason why that principle is at work. It's and and, 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 and there's a desire to, to overcome your, the world you came from and to, and to rise to the top. And you can't be, there's no time to apologize for it. And there's no time to be, to feign humility, you know. Um, and I think that that doesn't, that speak, the, the, the indie rock thing often comes from, um, I think, from privilege. Like, this sort of, like, um, this, the kind of, the, and again, the default stance of humility. I think, uh, uh, I mean, this is, again, like, examine your beliefs kind of thing. Everyone would agree that humility as, as a print, I mean, it's certainly the founding principle of like, of, of, of religion and, and, uh, and, um, of, you know, certainly of Christianity, um, that, you know, you shouldn't have humility. Um, it's, it's the founding, I mean, it, it, we all admire movie stars who are, you know, I'm, I'm going to pick Tom Hanks, the picking a big mainstream example, someone people love because he seems so down to earth, despite the fact that he's this billionaire movie star, um, uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I have lately kind of been moving more towards, uh, this idea. I mean, I started doing this on stage. My band hates it. Actually, I started, I started, it's a joke. If this is a joke that I started telling on stage, um, I, I, we would start a song or we would, you know, I would look down at something, a song on the set list and I would say, this next song is a very good song. <laughs> and and like my bandmate Drew, who's the guitarist, like absolutely hates this. He just like you know, it's like kills him every time I do it. I just think there's just something really funny about telling people the song is good before they even hear hear it, and 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 as if you get to tell them, as if you get to tell an audience this song that you're about to hear is a good song. It's fundamentally absurd. So there's a like play on on the idea of humility and of boasting and all this stuff. It is, but I've literally seen bands that have like apologized for songs on stage. So- <laughs> oh, it's the worst. That shit is the worst, man. I'm not into that. And I and I and I and I and as I've been listening to, you know, I watched a documentary which I think everybody should watch of Miles Davis. It's on Netflix. There are lots of documentaries about uh, Miles Davis. They're all pretty good, and they mostly give you this sense of the shape of his personality. Um, he is an asshole. He was an asshole. Oh yeah, hundred percent. He's a, he and sometimes was an actively bad guy, actively abusive, 
actively nasty. But there's no denying that dude changed music five times in his lifetime. Like, you can measure watershed moments where he does something so astonishing that the whole culture has to respond to it. I mean, genius on a level none of us can touch. And he fucking knew it. He would tell you. It's, in some ways, a template for Kanye, in a way. Um, He was very much... Miles Davis was a very big Miles Davis fan. And I, I'm, tr- I guess I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm questioning this axis of where I want to land on this stuff because I really want to do great stuff. I don't have time to mess around as we've established earlier. And so I don't have time to like, I'm, you know, the next beauty pool record, I want to be great. I will say that. And now that I recognize that we can do something great, having done the, you know, the, the this record that we're reissuing, I, you know, I'm aiming high, so I don't, I don't have a, I don't, I'm not afraid to, to say that. And I think it, the work will benefit. 